Logo Geeks is Ian Paget here. I'm back with another exciting podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today's episode is sponsored by The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created using Adobe stock assets. And if your amazing mood board design is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers art directors and creatives where the winner goes home with $750. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match and by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will buy you a coffee for your time. To learn more about that and to enter, just visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. So this week, I'm honored to be joined by Christopher Doyle, founder of the independent creative studio, Christopher Doyle and Co, based in Sydney, Australia. I'm going to admit that I actually recorded this, this interview uh, quite a long time ago. I recorded it back in January earlier this year. Uh, we're in uh, October now, or November. Uh, so it's been a while. Um at the time, I was actually just planning to take a short break, but uh, life got in the way. Um, so, Chris, if you are listening back to this, I'm so sorry it's taken so long to roll this out. But thankfully, it's still all relevant today and I'm still really excited to share this interview with everybody. We cover so many topics in this interview from how Chris managed to get a job at Saatchi and Saatchi despite a bad interview the lessons he learned from his mentors at Saatchi and Saatchi, the importance of working with language within your design work, design books that have been important to him, how he started his design agency, how his agency comes up with great ideas. Uh, we talk about creating culture within a, a design agency too, and the use of humor within your website copy as well. It's an hour's worth of incredible content, but I also encourage you to go and check out some of his talks on YouTube, uh, which I really enjoyed watching uh, as uh, preparation for this interview. So I'm going to put those in the show notes for this episode, and you can find the show notes just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 110. So anyway, let's get into this. Here is the interview with Christopher Doyle. I'd like to go back to the beginning. So mm -hmm. uh, here today, you've got your own agency, you've got yep. a team and everything, and, and you're super successful. Um, <laughs> but I, I read that you, um, so you studied graphic design, yep. and you accidentally somehow got an interview at Saatchi and Saatchi, which is a super famous uh, yeah. agency. Yeah. Um, but I understand it didn't go particularly well, and um, uh, but you were lucky enough to get an invitation back about six, 
six months later yeah. to try again can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that because I know you know people straight out of university that seems like a massive opportunity and you sure. say that it didn't go well but you still got invited back in can you share a little bit of, about what yeah. happened at that time yeah it was a really it was a really um I mean it was like I, I I think a lot of this stuff is luck and kind of association sometimes and and, and sort of just where you happen to be and 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 all that sort of stuff and I and I and I think this is a, a great example of that is I in my year at university, a girl um, had a contact there, and she had she had worked on the kind of group show for the university, and so she had she you know in a, in a way she had samples of everybody's work in her in this project within her folio, um, and so she she was sort of going around and sort of showing it in interviews, and and one of those was at was at Saatchi's in in Sydney, and and she you know like sort of I guess you know without meaning to sort of like revealed a whole bunch of other students' work to the to the people that ran the studio at the same time. Mm-hmm kind of showing her own which um you know is really just luck on 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 my part and uh and i yeah i was sort of called up as a you know as a as a as a potential candidate for this role in this in their sort of small design studio which was within the big within the bigger ad agency and i mean really i just had a a, you know a a very ordinary portfolio and finishing university very very kind of devoid of ideas and 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 very style based and and I couldn't really talk about the work with any great kind of clarity or, you know, or, or, or sort of certainty. And and those guys were, you know, sort of really put off by that, basically. They, you know, they were, you know, we, they kind of were like, okay, so tell us, you know, why, you know, why you did this? Where did this project come from? And I, and I found that stuff really hard. And I... And it was because really I didn't, I hadn't really put the time or the effort into a lot of the thinking behind the projects. And it was, you know, a lot of them were much closer to art than they were design. It was very self-expressive and, and sort of self, mm-hmm. you know, self-directed work. And and really they were coming at it from a very communications and idea-led uh, kind of approach. You know, they, they were a design studio, uh, one English creative director, one Irish, had both been through lots of different communications agencies. And, you know, they were they were kind of embedded within an ad agency, which was very famous for ideas. So I was kind of coming in, you know, really as not, not a great candidate for them. And, uh, and it just really didn't go very well, but then they, I gave them a business card at the end of the interview and it was, it it had like a little joke on it. It was kind of, it's terrible now to think about it, but it was, (laughs) but it was, you know, it read like a personals ad, you know, like a, like a romantic ad, you know, used to place Mm -hmm, ads in mm -hmm. the paper, you know, like when you were sort of looking for love, you know, this is before obviously online dating apps and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that was what, and it was a really simple idea that, you know, this, this crappy business card that I'd given them, which they laughed about. And, and that was kind of it. And, and I didn't get the job. And then they hired, uh, they hired a girl who then six months later, that sort of didn't work out. And they sort of said, you know, do you want to come back up and, and re-interview? And at that time I had taken a, a job and, really not sort of achieved much in that six months, you know, six months in your first job is not a huge amount of time. You don't, you don't sort of get through, get through, you know, you know, your folio isn't kind of bursting with great projects six months into your first year. So I went back up and, and they sort of said, you know, we really liked that business card and, you know, we want to see if you've got sort of more, you know, can you, you you know, do you have more ideas like that? And I really didn't, but I think by then, you know, they, they sort of then were like, okay, well, we'll take a, a chance on you and sort of, you know, know that, you know, or hope that we can kind of, you know, I guess mold your thinking and train you into kind of coming up with, you know, you know, more ideas based design. And look, I think it was a great example of personality, personalities clicking as well. You know, I got on with them really, yeah. really well. There was a great cultural fit and, and I, and I sort of took the job and very, very quickly realized that I had no idea what I was doing, you know, which I know is a very common, uh, you know, sort of a graduate uh, feeling to experience. And I think, and, you know, I think in some ways it's, it's fine to feel that because, 
you should enter the workforce going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing because it's a completely different, you know, world to the, uh, to the world of university. And, and yeah, I was lucky enough to stay there for, I think probably four or five years. I got on mm -hmm. really well with those guys. They were incredibly generous, um, you know, teachers and mentors and very unselfish with their knowledge. There was no competitiveness, you know, it was really, and, and I really lucked out in that sense. They were very, um, you know, their, their job as far as they were concerned was to teach me how to do what they knew how to do, you know, and it was a very, you know, almost very traditional apprentice-based kind of, uh, you know, situation. And I realized mm -hmm. later on that that's really not how all studios operate and it's not, and, and, and a lot of, most designers are not fortunate enough to have that experience. Um, yeah, and I was really lucky. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was my kind of, I guess, second, second job. So yeah, it was, it was a weird, weird way to get it, but I, I, I'm very thankful that I did. Yeah, but I think it's a, uh... An, an interesting story for anyone that's uh, graduating because you know yeah. there is the general assumption that your portfolio is what wins you the uh, job but in your case um i mean yeah. there, there must have been something to it for them to oh, have brought yeah. you in it it, it, it oh, sounds yeah. like it was very much your personality and and the fact that you clicked and they saw a lot of potential I and you know what I, I, yeah, yeah I, I like that you gave them something yeah, and that obviously stuck with them, and um... it yeah, it really did. That's why they called back six months later because one of them said, "I've still got this business card. Why don't we call this guy back and see if he's, you know, and see if he's kind of, you know, where he's at and, and how he's." And that's that's literally what what how they sort of tracked me down again, which is which is amazing. But yeah, look, I think it look there was there was, there was evidence of of you know aesthetics and 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 crafts and all that kind of stuff in the folio, but it mm -hmm. just wasn't. And, and look, I should say as well, it's it's not that it was it's not that the folio was terrible. I mean, it wasn't great, but it also just wasn't right for them. And I think that yeah. that was you know it could have been, it might have been right for. Them. I mean, I got a job in, in in Canberra, the city I was born in, with the same folio, and those guys were really excited about it. So, um, but you know, once I got into that job and got an idea of how they worked and 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 the sort of way they approached design, you know, I sort of fell in love with it and thought, okay, well, this is actually what this is what I want to do. You know, this is actually much more exciting than, than, you know, just stylistic aesthetic design, you know, which I don't even think I'm very good at. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't mind going a little bit into um, some of the lessons that you learn, learned there because, sure. you know, you, you went in saying that you didn't really know what you're doing. Um, yeah. I've watched videos where you still say that now, <laughs> um, but you, you said yeah. in one video I watched that they became, um, incredible mentors and really generous yes. with their yeah. knowledge. Can you share some of the lessons that you learned, um, whilst yeah. there that you felt could be beneficial yeah. to the audience? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I think there were, there were probably three and they're, and they're, I mean, I mean, I guess, sorry, before I, before I talk about those, I think the big thing they made me do was read design books, which I had really not done when I was at university and I didn't think I needed to. And I, and at that stage, again, think, you know, things like, things like blogs and, and, and really in-depth design websites that we all have access to now just didn't exist. You know, they really were very, very few and far between. So to, to look at work and learn about work that had, that had sort of come before you, you had to look at books. And they had an incredible library of, of, of sort of predominantly British, but a little bit of American as well design. And, and, and they had come from a very, from a very sort of, um, you know, British sort of school of thinking, which is very ideas based. And, you know, they, yeah, they sort of said, you need to read these books. I remember my boss giving me sort of four or five books at one point, putting them on my desk. And like, you know, these were books by like Michael Johnson and, and, and Michael Beirut and, 
and Bob Gill and, and they all, you know, all these like kind of like giants of design, um, some of which were sort of, you know, semi-retired, some of which were very active and still working. And, and he said, you need to read all these books. And, you know, and I did. And it was very, it was life-changing, that stuff, because it, it really was just so eye-opening for something that you couldn't find anywhere on the internet. You found it in those books. And then I, I guess the three, the three big things that I always come back to with those guys that they taught me about was, was I guess one was the, was the importance of ideas in design and, I've sort of been on a been on a big journey with that because when I was with them, it became, you know, we it was the relentless kind of pursuit of the idea, you know, whether that was just a visual trick or whether it was a verbal idea or a strategic idea or, or a, you know, a graphic sort of like moment of play that was clever. And I think that we became really obsessed with that, and and that became sort of the, the key thing. And and I've sort of strayed a little bit from that in you know recently, which I can I can talk about later. But um, that was the first one was the importance of ideas and being able to sort of come up with a unique way of saying something or showing something. Um, the second one was was that was to really forget about um, my own um, sort of uh, I guess aesthetic ambitions for work. And I think that I still think this is something that I would say you know most designers suffer from, and I still suffer from it as well, but it's this idea that you know that we are creating the work for ourselves and we get really frustrated when a client you know doesn't like a typeface we've chosen or a color or something like that and i and i you know i'm very i'm very you know it's not to say that you know designers should sort of be walked over by clients, and I think we have obviously you know you develop skills and, and and opinions and and ways of doing things that you know that's what people pay us to do but i do think that you know we we often so much of us as an industry uh get you know you know defeated and and sort of disappointed when the thing that we really like doesn't get up and and often it's because really we you know we we are sort of like weird sort of hybrid artists you know in that we are you know we are doing you're in a creative process that we that we really want to be satisfied by the outcome as well. And I think one of the things I talk to the guys at my studio about a lot is, you know, we're here to solve a problem for somebody else and it's got to be appropriate and it's got to look great. It's got to be clever and it's, you know, it's got to do all the things. And, and really if we come out of it really satisfied as well, then that's, that's a bonus. You know, I think that's, but you can't start there. And I think that yeah. that was something that they really said to me. And they, they, the phrase that I always come back to is the design is about other people and, 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 I guess the back half of that is often that, you know, art, art is about you, design is about other people. And I think that, I think it's something that a lot of designers get confused about. You know, they think they're working for themselves and the client better like it. And I really think that we, you know, we're in a service industry and, mm-hmm. you know, we're there, to, we're there to help other people communicate. We're not there to sort of, you know, hijack their their communications brief and, and sort of make it something that we hope gets a lot of likes and you know gets kind of like you know revered by the design industry so that mm-hmm. that kind of like you know to flip that around and be really selfless about why we do what we do and i think it's really hard you know because as i said we're all we're creative right we, you want to like what you do you want to be proud of it but um yeah i think that the, you know we're ultimately there to do it for other people and it's something that i always have to remind myself of as well um and i guess the other big thing is 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 writing you know they really kind of introduced me to i've always enjoyed writing like creative writing and and, and sort of playing with words and i think they when i was at university i had no real kind of i don't know i just didn't connect writing or, or, or certainly humor in writing to back to design and they really really saw that I enjoyed that and pushed me to do it and really encouraged me to do it and it became it became something that I think you know in, in I'm I, I was good at and I had a natural kind of um sort of natural ability for and and, and something I really enjoyed you know and in lots of ways I think for uh, you know for a long time I thought I was actually I was more confident 
you know, writing a headline than I was designing a poster, you know, and I think that that is something that's kind of comes through, I think, in our studio work as well is a lot of copywriting and a lot of wordplay. And, you know, the, I think they always said the best designers are also, you know, interested in writing or good writers. And I think that's designers get scared of that because they think they then have to become writers, but they don't, you know, you just, there is, there is, there's got to be an interesting language and words, um, I think to the, you know, if you have an interest in those things, then it can make the work better. I think as simple as that. So yeah, they were, they were the kind of big key things and they, and to be honest, they stay with me through to today. I still, I still feel very strongly about those, those lessons and I try and pass them on as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I can really see that, especially the, um, uh, everything to do with language. I, I've I've watched several videos of yours, uh, for research for this, uh, read a number of things and language constantly came up multiple times over and over again. And you can really see it in your work. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, some of the ideas that you're working with are so interesting because, Mm. um, you're not just looking at it as an aesthetic exercise. You're, looking at it as a, yeah, a language and totally. creative exercise all combined together yeah i mean it's very rare now we do work that isn't that isn't both verbal and visual i guess in the, in the studio and look it's not you know occasionally you do record covers or you do theater posters or you do you know we do we do do types of work that is not verbally led but the things that are commercial you know like the big sort of anything to do with brand or, or campaign role that it, it almost always has a, a, a verbal um, you know, component to it. And it's not always us. We work with writers as well. I should, I should be very clear about that. We do, we do outsource to a couple of really great copywriters on projects, but we do a lot of naming ourselves in house and we do, yeah, we do do a lot of sort of headlining and, and copywriting. And look, I think the power of that to me, and, it, and it's something you, I'm sure you've heard me sort of, you know, ramble on about in talks as well is that, is that language is accessible to everybody, you know, and, and design, and colors and type and aesthetics aren't as accessible to everybody, you know? And I think that's, that to me is a really, I've always found that to be a really interesting point because you can, you know, you can kind of present a headline that really, really sums up or or nails a thought and everybody in the room can, can enjoy that, you know? And often it doesn't always go that way with design. You know, you can present this very crafted, beautiful uh, logo or poster or something. And, you know, people in the room kind of go, yeah, I get it. It's nice. You know, it's, it's more akin to kind of judging art than it is communication, you know? And I think that I've always found with copy, you know, you, that's often where the most, you get the most response in a room full of people is you sort of, you know, you, you, you verbalize what they're aiming for, you know, and I'm sure you've had that. Everybody has that with clients where you manage to write a really great rationale before you even show them the work and you sort of see them nodding and going, it's almost this wave of relief, you know, on a client's face where they go, oh, okay, good. Yeah, you definitely, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And I, and that's the power of language, you know, it's, it's, it's that, it's this access point that everybody has. And it's, um, it's something that we need to be, yeah, we need to do more of in design. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one really good example of how you've done that is, um, a, an example that you gave in one of your presentations. I can't remember her first name, but her surname is Cantwell. Oh, I don't Natasha. want you to repeat yeah. the story. <laughs> yeah. I won't, I no, won't ask you to, to tell sure. that story again because you've, you told that so many times in your talks. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to link to that, but that's a fantastic sure. example of how you've, um, used language. And I think that's another really interesting example of, um, how you actually uh, got a client just, you know, just by coming up with an idea. I think that's a great example. So I Pretty will link much. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, man, that was, I mean, look, that, that was a really, um, that was a fun job, you know, like that. And it was, it was, it was just me kind of, yeah, cold calling this, this poor, um, sort of woman who wasn't expecting me to, and probably didn't want me to. And it turned into a really, a really fun one and, and something that was essentially all verbal. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great project. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind going into a couple of things that, that you mentioned sure. then. So you spoke about reading books. Yeah. Are there any book names that you can drop here for people to go and read? Yeah, I um yeah, a designer actually emailed me the other day who just sort of set up a new business and he and, and was asking me a bunch of questions and he, he said that, you know, to save time, can you just tell me three great, great design books to read that either changed how you run a business or, or how you think about design, which I thought was a really interesting question. I think, I mean, for me, the book that the book that really influenced me in terms of visual design, and I think it's it's such a, I think logos and and sort of very small contained bits of graphic design, it's a really important book still. Is is a smile in the mind, which is a very old. I don't know if you know the book. That sort of very classic. They've had two editions of that book now. One from the, I want to say the early eighties, possibly even the late seventies. Very old, very traditional uh, you know predominantly british uh, you know some american um, some european um sort of design to it but it, it is very much you know sort of the visual uh wit and, and and trickery and sort of you know like almost visual puns and it, it's a lot of the ideas are very tired now but but that sort of that sort of really just opened my eyes to to the power of a really really simple idea especially in in logos and, and sort of brand design um and then I guess the other one I really, really loved um, when I was when I was sort of younger and I want to reread was was a book that Adrian Shaughnessy wrote called uh, How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul, um, which was beautiful because it was about being, working as a designer, but also um, so it was almost about the business of design as much as it was about the the kind of practice of design. You know, it didn't really kind of it didn't sort of tell you how to design or give you kind of you know any sort of tips on that, but it it sort of spoke really, really um, broadly about running studios or being a freelancer and invoicing. And, and again, it's probably pretty out of date now, but it was, um, it was pretty amazing. And th those two books, the other ones are Studio Culture. Studio Culture is a unit editions book that's just been re, re, um, I guess rebooted is probably, that's the wrong word, but it, uh, an issue, uh, sorry, an edition of that came out probably sort of 10 or 12 years ago. And they've just done a new issue and it's basically the same, but it's just been updated where they, they essentially go out to studios all around the world, get some photos of their of their spaces and their their studios and their offices, and and then ask them, you know, a whole bunch of questions about how they run their run their design studios and whether they're large or small, and 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 what drives those decisions and how they bill and you know how they get clients, how they self promote, what's you know what's the important of social importance of social media, and and I really love the new edition of it because it really when the first one came out there was no social media, you know there was no Instagram, there was no no Twitter, and there wasn't there wasn't all these kind of um, mediums with which we all kind of communicate and, and talk to each other now. So it's a they're both editions, both the old one and the new one are really really lovely. And I actually just found the other day a book that I haven't seen in ages, which is called How to Think Like a Great Graphic Designer, which is a series of interviews. Um, I want to say by Debbie Millman, and I hope I've got that right. It's a really misleading title because how to think like a great graphic designer is almost like this kind of like incredible self-help <laughs> book, but it's really not. It's just interviews with amazing designers um, and, and really beautiful personal interviews in print with um, with with really, really incredible graphic designers. So, so yeah, that's, that's at the top of my head. That's they're probably a, a good place to start. Definitely. And um, I'll link to all of those in the show notes so that people can 
uh, find them. I think that book is by Debbie Mealman. I think it's based on interviews from her podcast. Ah, of course. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got a grey cover and it's, uh, yeah, big sort of serif type. And I, it's just a really lovely, yeah, you know, I mean, we're all, yeah, obviously, I, you know, we've got so much amazing you know, podcast and 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 video content available to us now. And it's. It, I remember thinking it was quite nice to read one of those interviews as well in a in a book. You know, you don't see as much of that yeah. anymore. But um, but it's quite old now. It's before we had incredible content like this <laughs> to go on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Um, I think it's also worth going into what you said about ideas. Yep. Um, and I'll be interested in your take on this because I know mm. that you don't necessarily follow a process, but yes. Have you got any tips or advice that you can share for coming up with interesting ideas? Um, I think, yeah, I, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I say we don't follow a process. That's it's it, part of that is just to sound, you know, mysterious and edgy. And the but there is <laughs> there is there is some truth to it in that in that. And I and I I'm I'm you know I'm aware of how sort of like you know earnest it all sounds when I still get up and, and and sort of do talks and say I don't know what I'm doing and I I guess what I mean by that is I part of that is meant to sound I guess reassuring in that in that I don't I don't think. I don't think we have a set process for how we figure things out, but also I think yeah. depending on, you know, unless you have the same brief over and over again, I, there's an argument that your process should be different, you know? And I think, I think the things that, the things that sort of remain constant for us are learning as much as we can about something, you know, I think, and I think that's, I think that should be true of all, you know, all design. And I think all the best designers and, and sort of thinkers have said that, that before you start, you really need to learn as much as you can and absorb as much as you can about about whatever it is you you know you're doing and and I, so that's the first thing. I think the second thing is is I always start um, I always start a notebook. And I know it sounds really traditional and old school. And the new thing is that everyone you know you should be drawing on an iPad Pro and that's the way to iterate thoughts. And I you know I'm I'm still sort of I still sort of go straight to the moleskin and and I I really I have to be able to draw a logo. I can't. I can't start a logo on screen. And I think that's true of most designers these days, whether yeah, they start with an too, iPad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I, I can't migrate to the iPad, man. I just, I don't know what it is. I mean, they're incredible now. I, I saw, I caught up with a friend the other night and she's just bought an iPad Pro and she was showing me just all the incredible functionality of being able to draw on that screen, you know, with the really good pencil. And I, and I, and I don't know, I don't, because I don't consider myself to be a, a really, I don't know, I don't consider myself to be a great craftsman when it comes to logos you know i can like it's i think there's a there's always a simplicity to that kind of work that we do and and yeah i i really need to be able to sketch it and even with writing i always need to be able to write a headline down before i type it i don't there's something i find very and i might just be some sort of weird superstitious habit but i I can never go straight to a computer and write a headline down. I think the closest I've got now is in my notes app on my phone. I've been drawing logos, um, you know, with my fingers on the notes app with the pen, with the pen thing on the phone and they're awful. And, but it's, it's, it's just so I don't forget them. You know, like I had one the other night and I was, I was at home on the couch and I, and I never bring my notebook home and I keep it all at work. So there's like some separation. And I, so I started doing these like terrible logo sketches on my notes phone. And then, but then I've also like, it's so, I mean, it's so laborious. I do that. And then I'll often screen grab the note. So, because I'll forget that I did it, you know, like at the next yeah, day, I'll, yeah. Sort of, I'll, yeah, I'll be, but then if I'm looking at my photos, which I'm often doing on the phone, I'm like, oh, that's right. I sketched that terrible, you know, basketball thing or something the other night. And, and then you can kind of go, okay, it's, yeah, I know where that is now. So that's as kind of close as I get, but yeah, my, my things are really trying to, trying to learn as much as you can about it. And then, 
and then and sort of starting with a, a pencil and paper is always my thing. I can't use pen; I have to use pencil, and they're all they're all just kind of personal things. But I mean, to me, to me, ideas and and sort of starting are really it's 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 all about connection. And I don't, I, you know, that's not a unique approach. I think most designers sort of in, in you know employ that approach, which is it's about connecting you know, the, the dots of things. And that could be that, you know, a certain letter looks like something or a certain word could turn into something or or a certain sort of, you know, mark can actually double up as something else. So you can find a symbol that's connected to a brand, you know, strategically and then embedded in some in some language or something like that. And I think it comes in all sort of shapes and sizes, but that you, you need to know what those dots are before you can connect them, you know. And I think that's, yeah, you, so you need to kind of have all the dots filed away and then you can sort of start to get out the red string and, and and make observations, you know. And I think there's an amazing quote by Dean Poole in um in in the new edition of A Smile in the Mind, which he says that you need to you need to catalogue everything that you learn sort of somewhere in your head, which sounds really you know it sounds really full on. But he's the analogy he gave was that if you you know if you learn something or observe something, you need to file it away, and then you never know when you you'll be able to sort of go into that cabinet and sort of thumb through and go, that's right, I actually realised that. I saw this or I learned this about this item or this, you know, this kind of idea and, and, and you find a way to use it later on. And I think that, you know, it's about letting the brain, you know, or making sure the brain is always kind of open to, you know, just a little bit to, to ideas and observations. And I think that I suffer from thinking about work. Um, I don't suffer from it. That's way too dramatic. I, <laughs> I am, I am prone to thinking about work more than I should, you know, and I think it's a, I think it's a very fine line between, making sure you switch off and you don't think about work, but allowing just, I, I, I just, man, I keep a small light on in the back of my head where there's a little, you know, there's still a little bit of activity going on. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, and, and I, and I don't do it because I feel pressure. I mean, I don't work for anyone. I run my own business. So it's not like I'm, you know, I don't feel pressure to turn up the next day with ideas or I don't, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but I, I just have this thing ticking over and the more mundane the task I'm doing, whether it be exercise or, um, you know, or in the shower or anything like that, the, the more free my brain is, the more I let the things kind of creep in. And it's because I'm excited to come up with an idea. That's that's really all it is, you know, and I think um, it's, it's yeah, it's not pressure. And it, look, it works against me because I find it hard to sort of unwind and back away from it. But, but yeah, that's kind of, I think that's where ideas often often pop up. And you've got to, mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, I have to leave a, yeah, you've got to leave a little sort of shoe in the door so they can get in basically, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, most graphic designers I've met suffer. Yeah. I mean, it's not really suffering, but they they no. <laughs> um, have the same issues because we're solving yeah. problems, and totally. um, it's hard not to let it go. And you know, in those situations yeah. where you're driving, having a shower, or you know, doing something totally, totally unrelated, yeah. that's when uh, I don't I don't know if your brain is in a different state or something, but that's when the uh, yeah. most interesting ideas come from. <laughs> Man, I, yeah, I really and it, it, I said to someone uh, a couple of years ago, I realised that when I was at the when I was going to the gym, I don't I'm not going to the gym now because of covid but when i when when we could go to the gym i i would do a lot of um elliptical you know like cross trainer you know like the skiing machine and man it was like a i had so i had did so much work thinking there you know because it was so monotonous and boring and i would and i would just let these things kind of chug around in my head and and occasionally make notes on my phone or or something like that but I, i found that was like a really fruitful period for me to to be able to think about it at the gym you know not while you're doing weights or anything but when you're on a spin bike or on like a you know a cardio machine i found that to be a really a really great thinking time and yeah i don't know what it is i wonder it's it's kind of weird it's like a weird 
thing, isn't it? That your brain's like meant to be at its most relaxed or free. And then that's yeah. when, that's when you start, you know, like having ideas. Yeah, but yeah. I think you're right. I mean, to me, <laughs> suffering is that, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, it is an interesting kind of, there is a, to me, I talk about this kind of manageable level of anxiousness, you know, and I think, and, and, and manageable being the key word is you don't want, no one wants this to kind of like, you know, ruin their sleep or, you know, ruin their lives or, or anything like that. And, you know, and it is just graphic design, you know, we're not, we're not heart surgeons. And, but I do, to me, it's proof that I enjoy the job still. That's why it still creeps mm-hmm. into my brain. It means that I'm excited about what I'm doing. You know, it, I, I think it just, you know, you know, I've got kids and I, and I, you know, I need to kind of make sure that I, I do compound, comp, comp, oh my God compartmentalize <laughs> is the word, um, that stuff sometimes because, you know, yeah, it's, 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 I can't fit it all in all the time, but, um, I just, man, I just think most of the time, and I think, yeah, as you say, you talk to most design, it's, it's cause they actually enjoy what they're doing and they want to solve the problem. And that's, you know, I mean, God, it's, it's actually a really lucky position to be in, isn't it? For a career. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that have, um, uninteresting mundane jobs and we're really oh, lucky totally. to be in this position where, you know, we, yeah we like to think about our work outside of work <laughs> yeah yeah which man and you're right the majority of people don't this is i think what designers forget is we all we all love to complain about clients and oh this and this and i mean man you've got to think the majority of people if you told them on sunday night they didn't have to go in the next day they would not go in you know and i think i'm you know i'm I'm, I'm like, no, I want to go to work. I enjoy it. I really, I'm still excited by it, you know? And I think, I think we forget mm-hmm. that a lot of the time because you're right. Most, you know, we get, everyone gets bogged down in their own version of, you know, whatever, whatever the crappy thing that's going on in their career or their lives is a bit work. But yeah, I think, you know, we forget most people wouldn't, wouldn't go to work if they, they didn't have to. I mean, this is just the kind of weird, gross, big system that we're all in. So it, it is important to remember that. I think we're, we're very lucky to be in creative fields. Absolutely. I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe stock assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? Do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful project is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other groovy designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with... $750. It's free to participate in the perfect match. And if you submit an entry, Adobe will buy you a coffee for your time. To take part and to learn more, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So let's get back to the interview. So you now have your own agency, Christmas yes. Soil and Co., yeah. And I noticed that you didn't start that until you worked at a number of different agencies yes. um, for quite a long period of time. 
what was the reason why you ultimately made your mind up? I'm going to start my own thing. <laughs> it's a it's a really it's a really good question, and, it, and it's a really simple answer. I guess there's there were two things. The first was I was at an agency. I was at Interbrand at the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, big branding agency that that have offices everywhere, which everyone is probably familiar with. And I was in the Sydney office of Interbrand, and at the time I had it was a very top heavy office. I would say so. I would have been. I was a design director um, and I had two creative directors um, above me. Uh, you know, I had a CEO who um, who was very involved in the work as well. You know, very smart, um, very, uh, you know, had very strong opinions on the work as well. Um, and, you know, and then I had, there were other design directors as well. And I, I, I guess a couple of things were happening is one, I felt like it was really top heavy and I, I never seemed to kind of get anything up, you know, like it was, I did the work. I never really seemed to be able to kind of do the work that they wanted me to do. And I felt quite, I felt like I wasn't really kind of getting anything out of it. And um, although yeah. I really enjoyed a lot of the people and, and, you know, the creative directors above me, I'm still friends with and, 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 you know, I have, I have a lot of close friends I've, I've sort of kept from that agency, but I, I felt like I wasn't really doing the thing. My folio or my personal kind of growth wasn't sort of going anywhere. And then the second thing was I was just getting older, you know, like I was looking at, those jobs and kind of going well the next step is i either work my way into those roles be it here or another agency or you start your own thing and i think that you know it's a it's a weird it's a weird industry because if you you you're sort of meant to you know you're meant to climb up and up and up and then end up in a sort of you know some sort of senior role by a certain age and you know like so many industries like i think we're really you know we we sort of the older you get, the you know, the less attractive you are in the creative industry, right? Which is terrible. Like I think that's such a flawed. But you have this, you this is there's this awful sort of, um, yeah, there's this awful idea in in advertising and design and everything that it's all got to be young and it's you know and so I, I I sort of had this I had I had been schooled that way and I felt I felt like I was running out of time to um to sort of make my own version of it, I guess. Um, but really, you know, I could have just, I, yeah, I could have kept going and I could have stayed in that role or I could have, you know, I could have gotten older, of course, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of like a career like clock ticking with me, um, which as I said at the time, you know, I was really worried about, but actually is just now I look at it, just think it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah. And, 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 and at, and at that job, as I said, I felt I wasn't, I didn't, I couldn't really go anywhere, you know, and I just thought, well, now's probably the time um and you know i had two kids by that stage and i really i guess professionally wanted to sort of i guess to structure my life around work as opposed to you know structure work around oh sorry yeah structure work around my life as opposed to structure my life around work you know i wanted i wanted to kind of come and go as i pleased i wanted i wanted to do less hours and i wanted to you know i wanted to basically be in charge of 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 my you know my my work life which is really terrifying you know to do that with a with two kids and a you know and a mortgage and 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 at that age i was i was and i did it so badly like i had no clients i didn't save up any money like i did you know like i i remember i was earning what i thought was really good money at interbrand and i kind of left and i'm like why am i not prepared for this like you know like I, it's not like i decided and did it like a week later i like i gave it months and months and i just didn't i just didn't prepare for it i don't know why and i amazingly i took one of the clients that was there um you know obviously um very amicably like i spoke to the you know the the uh the ceo and the md and said look this you know small theater client wants to come with me and they said yeah that's fine and then about a week before i left i had a client um 
which I'll get, this is like a bit of a tangent, but it's, it's an interesting story. I think about relationships. I had a sure. client who, yeah, this woman ring me, um, who was the marketing manager at an orchestra in Sydney, quite a big Australian orchestra. And she, she rang me out of the blue or emailed, I can't remember, and basically said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, and introduced herself and said, would you like to sort of think about doing this work for the orchestra, which was to do photo shoots and brochures and all this, all this really lovely work for, for this incredible orchestra. Now, she'd been given my number um, from the woman who had just left the role that she had moved into. So her successor had moved on and said, you should call, you should call Chris. I worked with him at an old agency and, and really liked him. So you should call. So basically her, her, you know, her outgoing boss had worked with me at an agency previous and referred me that way, which I think is the first, that's the first kind of amazing, you know, thing where I think all of, you know, relationships are all connected and the impressions that we make on people are, you know, it's a small world. And I think that that's, you know, it's a really important thing designers need to kind of remember is that you can, it's all connected, you know, this stuff. And so I thought it was incredible that I'd gotten this. And I sort of said, yes, of course. And I said, look, I'm, I'm actually resigning and setting up on my own. Do you, you know, and I said, I remember saying to her, do you, are you calling because I work at Interbrand or are you calling because you want me to do it. And I remember her saying, I don't, she said, I don't care. I'm just calling you because, you know, my, my, my boss who's just resigned has told me to call you. So, so I went and met this, I went and met this, this woman whose name was Rosie and, and she sort of gave me this big piece of work. And man, that was the kind of foundation client of, of the business, that and this theater. And it was amazing because I, that sort of is what got it going. And I mean, the incredible thing with that, I did like a year, I think, or two years with her at the orchestra. And then one Christmas, she emailed me and um, she emailed me and with this this big personal email that said, "Dear Chris," and it was this thing that basically said, "Look, I'm I'm so sorry that I'm moving on, you know, all this kind of stuff." And it was, but it was a really weird email because it was like it was written to someone else. And then I realized that she, I realized that she'd written to a different Chris in her organization, but it, but she was telling him that she was resigning, and I was finding out because she asked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I rang her and I said. I'm pretty sure you meant to send that to me because she's like, oh, my God. And she said, oh, actually, all right, I'm trying. And I was like, I was really disappointed. I was like, oh, man, okay. so Because I was only like two years into this incredible relationship. Mm-hmm. But then she took a job at Spotify and and then sort of like a year and a half later started to feed me Spotify work. And then oh, – and then awesome. Yeah. And, and it, this, it's, a, man, it's just one of these really lovely like you know cyclical sort of like things where – we like she'd been referred to me by a boss she then left that went to spotify i you know we stopped working with that orchestra eventually and then she very slowly over the last kind of four years you know started sort of feeding us spotify work and the last two or three years an enormous amount of spotify work which really has become sort of our biggest client and and it really was all because we had we had a relationship that was you know like sort of seven seven years previous um so yeah and that was so that was kind of yeah that was sort of why i left um which is a, a sort of long and boring story but but as i said i mean the, the, the main thing was i was i was afraid that i was getting too old for the industry you know which which is which i think is such a sad thought now when i think about it because you know, it's, 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 yeah, I don't know. It bothers me that that's a, that's something that I was so down about at the time, but, um, but yeah. And I, so there was that and, and, and sort of hitting the ceiling in the place I was in and really just wanting some freedom. And man, I, someone said to me the other day, Oh, would you ever go back and work in an agency? And I just, I just don't think I could, you know, not, not that I don't think agencies have great culture and you can do great work and all that sort of stuff. But I, am so used to just driving my life now. And I don't mean just the creative direction. I mean, the freedom to, you know, to be with my family or to take time off or to, 
you know, to structure a flexible work, you know, work life. I just, that stuff to me, just, you can't put a price on it. So, yeah. Yeah, I can agree. I, I went full time myself around a year ago now. Oh, and, man, that's awesome. Um, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice how I, I've got a little one as well. So it's just oh, nice cool. that you can just stop and do stuff yeah. and, and uh, you know, live your life, but let fit work in around the, the yes. rest yes. of it, which is really I mean, nice. You can't, yeah, and you can't do that when you work <laughs> for someone else. You know, it just doesn't, again, there's, we, we, we've just, you know, globally just we've got this, and certainly in our industry, I mean, it's just ripe. We have set up this system where it's, you know, it's just all in. You're meant to work all hours. You're meant to mm-hmm. work weekends. You know, it's this understanding that, if, you know, if it doesn't get done today, well, it's okay. We'll just stay back and do it tonight. And it's, you know, it's one of these things that's just so widespread. It's like the free pitching thing. I don't know what it's like over there, but, you know, everyone loves to argue about free pitching here and doing spec work in Australia. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that's like, well, you're always going to have a large amount of, of designers or a large number of designers, I should say, doing it. So it doesn't matter how many people disagree with it. Unless we all stop it, it's going to keep going. And I think it's the same as the work late culture. It's never – I think it's much better than it used to be, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but it's still – it's still a big thing here. You know, it's still, you, you know, you, certainly in agencies, there's this understanding that you work, you work at night. And I just, I, it just baffles me. I just think, I think if you're consistently having a team work at night, then, then something's wrong with the way the business is being run. I just, there's, there's no other answer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't know how it is at all agencies, but at the place where I used to work, if we, I needed to get something done by a certain time. I, I used to yeah. stay late and, and that was voluntary most of the time. I didn't even yeah. get paid overtime. I, I don't oh, know why man. I was bad enough yeah. to do that. But yeah, yeah. it's um Look, I think it's, it's just it's, Yeah, it is. And I think it's it is, it's just the assumption is there. So like we so we the way we structure at work is we do time in lieu. So I mean there's there's overtime, right? I mean, I think that's just the thing in our industry is that it happens from time to time, you know. And if you you know, you need to stay back till seven o'clock or, you know, occasionally you need to come in on a Sunday to work on something. I th- I think I think there is some of that that's just part and parcel of what we do. But I think I'm I've been really conscious of, you know, if the guys stay back two or three nights in a row or they come in you know, and do a full Sunday, then we, we basically log that time and, and it just gets added on to yeah. annual leave, you know, and they, and they take it back in, in lieu. And I think it's, you know, it's, yeah, it can get, it can get a bit messy and difficult to manage, but I'm like, well, that's, that's the, it's the only sustainable way to do it. Cause the, you know, yeah, you're right. You're not getting paid for that time. And it's funny when you talk to people outside of design, I don't know if you've, you had these conversations and people kind of go, well, why are you not getting paid overtime? And you have to sort of go, oh, yeah, that's just not really how it works in our industry. You know, it's like you talk to a lawyer, you know, like or someone who gets paid by the hour, you know, it's uh-huh. like any any industry really. Like it's, 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 we somehow have just got this thing where it's like you work until you fall asleep, you know, and it's fine. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I got, I got used to doing it because, you know, yeah. like, well uh, the the day always finished officially at like half five but sometimes i'll be in in the zone or like really into what i'm doing and i like i just want to like keep working on this yeah Uh, yeah. (laughs) and i look i think you know that's another thing which i find i find that it's a really delicate thing when you when you talk about especially with young designers because i man i i personally and i and i really want to say it's just me it is really just me i don't think i don't think it's fits for everyone but i I'm very much from that sort of school as well, that if I get to six o'clock or five o'clock or whatever, and you are really in a zone, I, I'm quite happy to stay there for an hour and do it. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I, man, I, it's, 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 I'd be lying if I'd said I didn't enjoy going in on a Sunday sometimes if it's something I'm really excited about. I think, 
And it's, it is that really delicate balance, isn't it? Where you want, you want people to be a little bit hungry and go, actually, you know, shit, let's get some, you know, let's get some food and actually stay back and do this because we're on a roll or this is really working. And I think where, where it becomes messy is where people feel obliged all the time to do that, you know? And I think yeah. younger designers who don't have as strong a voice as in a culture or, or, you know, don't know how to navigate that sort of stuff with their CDs. Yeah. It gets a really slippery slope where, you know, you you're six months or a year in, and you just it's just understood that you're work late. You know, and I think that that that's different. Mm-hmm. I think that becomes a that becomes a problem. But I do, again, it's that manageable level of 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 kind of a little bit of overtime. I think can be a really healthy thing if you're really excited about the job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know where I used to work. Um, they had that problem, especially with a yeah. lot of the account managers. The account managers would consistently work late. And then there would be the expectation that they would do that. And, um, you know, you could see that that person could take on more um, than they did, which is obviously unhealthy. Um, I I feel that's fairly toxic. But, um, you know, if if you work at a place like that, just don't stay and then it's not expected of it's you. exactly once you do it once the precedent's there it's it just it's on right like like i yeah. remember at instagram when i left there was this phase at the end where it's like people would literally just muck around till sort of like 11 or 12 in the morning you know like like you'd come in you'd catch up you'd go get a coffee you'd sort of go okay cool what are we going to do today and then we do that and i'm not and it's not a criticism of the guys that were there because it just turned into this thing of like well work really started at kind of lunchtime and then Right. I thought at five o'clock or six o'clock at night, you're like, oh, well, we better stay back and do this till nine o'clock. It's like, well, yeah, but it's, we all pissed about until midday. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, There was a little bit of that that I saw, which I just always thought was really odd because it's it became so normal that you would stay back, that the mornings, yeah. and then also you were so exhausted that the mornings were almost like these really slow starts where you'd catch up with everyone and be like, oh God, you know, we were here till 11 o'clock and, and then you're, you're forever on the back foot with that stuff, right? Because it's like, it's yeah. like being hung over every day. You know, you can't, you, it's, you can't sort of kickstart that, that, that energy levels because you were there doing it late and it just kind of keeps going and going. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a cultural thing within the business, though. And uh, it's it's interesting hearing it from you, you know, having worked for a number of agencies and also Mm. having your own thing. Um, How do you, I mean, with your agency, have you intentionally like created a culture or do you feel that's just fairly organic based on what people do? I look, I think, I think both, to be honest. I think there's, I think there's a, um, I did an Adobe talk recently that was that was part of Adobe Max. It was on that was on creating creating culture and you know and it is it is a really interesting question around how much of it can be created, how much of it is how much is it is responsible is the responsibility of the of the management and the leaders, how much of it is as you say just the organic behaviour of a combination of people and what and also what can you actually implement intentionally that that, that drives some of that stuff and I think. I think the answer is 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 to your question is is both. I think that I there is some very intentional actions I've taken and sort of rules I've set up at work that I think define our culture. And I also think that our culture has been defined by the people in it. You know, and I think that is, I mean, that's the very definition of culture, isn't it? It, it is it is what what emerges, you know, from a from a, a group of people and, and you know an attitude mm-hmm. and a, and a you know tastes and behaviours and 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 so I think in some ways it's it's kind of in some ways it's out of my control and in some ways it's 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 importantly very much in my control and I think in that sense I have a lot of responsibility as as a sole sort of owner and 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 person running a business that you know you have to make you have to make it really really clear what's expected of people you have to kind of you know when things are unfair or or, or 
um, you know, inappropriate or, you know, there's a whole range of things that, that I make really, really clear when people join the team. And, and that to me, that to me is very much intentionally shaping some of the culture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then yes, you have multiple personalities that come into a room, um, you know, who then kind of, you know, impact the culture in lots of ways as well. And I, and I, I love that sort of stuff. I think, I've always been incredibly careful with hiring. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting that if you, if you're really, really, you know, sort of careful with hiring and, and making sure that you, you know, you really want the right people in the room that, you know, are aligned in the same sort of ways as you, you don't, you don't want clones of people, obviously, but you want, you know, it's for us, it's, there's some sort of political and, and, and ethical alignment, you know, that, that needs to, that needs to be part of a hire. And I think, I think that's, I think that's true of, you know, of all sort of industries and businesses, you know, and I think that, you know, you're going to be in a room with each other for eight hours every day. You know, we can't, you know, there's certain things that you just won't be tolerated in terms of views and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think that, um, you know, you have to, it's a, yeah, it's a really tricky one when you hire, but hiring people who you think are the right culture fit, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all very grey. But then once it actually start once they start to actually kind of get into the team and work, it generally, it generally does work because you've gone through those, you know, you've sort of, you've sort of realized, okay, we think, you know, this person's going to really gel with us or we have the same sort of, you know, ideas about design and the way design works. And and then more broadly, we, okay, socially, we feel, you know, you feel aligned and you, 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 you're looking for people to be in a relationship with really, like it's a professional one, but it's still, it's still very much a relationship, you know, and you have to be debating and talking about ideas and, and, and really having, you know, I always think about client behavior and, you know, certain cl- clients who are problematic or situate or clients that come in and go, okay, we want you to work on this, this brand. And, you know, us sort of all kind of instinctively going, okay, well, well, that's not a company that we want to work for, you know, or that's not an organization that we believe is doing good for the world. So, you know, you have to, it's, it's really, it's tricky, that stuff, because it's, 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 it's making sure everybody's on the same page, but that there is an indiv- there's also an individuality right because you want you want you want sort of people to bring their own personalities and experiences and ideas to the table as well so it's um i think you can shape it and i think it's important to shape it because i think people look to me and 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 they should rightly so look to me to go mm-hmm. what are we doing in this situation you know or a client said this to me and i'm offended or i you know and then it's my and i've had those exact conversations where i go okay well that's you know that's inappropriate or that's unacceptable so i then have a conversation with whoever said X, you know, and, and that, you know, I think that is, that, that to me is very much culture. You know, that's me saying, Mm -hmm. okay, we don't, we don't operate like that. And, and we don't, we don't tolerate certain things. And, you know, I think that, that if you, if I was one of the employees, I would imagine that that is something I would walk away and think, okay, well, that's a great thing about the culture or that's something that, you know, and, and, and look, it it works in reverse as well. You know, we have catch-ups with the team and they go, okay, well, this is, you know, this sort of thing's happening in the studio and it feels really wrong. Can we all, does everyone think it is happening and, or, you know, do you think it's happening? And I say, yes. And then we work towards changing it. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's very democratic and and collaborative in that sense. But I think it's, I think it is, you know, it is, a lot of it is my responsibility, but it's also something that everyone else has to contribute to and does whether or not they even know they are, you know? Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Well, we've got um, a few minutes left. um, So I'm going to throw, uh, one final question at you, sure. and um, it's to do with the use of humor. Yes. So I noticed, you know, going through your website, uh, it's, it's it's funny. You know, you, you read the text. Uh, there, yep. There's a lot of humor to it. Um, I, I noticed with uh, a lot of what you do, uh, although you're talking about, I guess, fairly serious topics, 
you yep. tend to always add a little bit of a humor into it and i'm sure that's all part of your um personality but it's mm. interesting to see that brought brought into your uh agency too in in a very very intentional way yes. um has that impacted the type of clients and uh people that you attract at all um yeah i think it has i think it's um it, it is a really intentional thing, and I think I think it's pro- it was probably born out of me starting on my own. You know, like when I started out, I was obviously by my myself. So I think a lot of yeah, a lot of my personality sort of was was fed into the website and the way we talked and 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 some of the work. And I think I think we uh, I think everybody in the studio has we have all very sort of quite similar senses of humor and 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 an appreciation for humor in design. And I think it it so yeah, I think it's definitely attracted. Um, the types of designers to the studio absolutely and it's something that, that, that designers talk about that that resonates with them um i think in terms of clients um yeah i think it i think it has as well i think it's you know you you look uh, the new the website is an incredible um icebreaker i would say you know and i think that's probably yeah. why we haven't changed the writing on the website for many many years um because it, it it's it's always a talking point for clients, you know, and and it's and I think it was it was funny when I first set up the website. I had a what we do and a what we don't section, and it's really never changed. It's just been redesigned over and over again, and and I I can never really sort of bring myself to get rid of it because clients find it sort of so it's such an icebreaker, you know. And I think that and again, it sort of comes all the way back to what we were talking about at the beginning around around language is that it becomes it just becomes something that kind of warms up the experience and 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 you know we're very careful not to make everything you know we don't try and make it all funny you know like it's not you know it's not like every every sort of you know bit of text or every every job is an opportunity for humor because i think that i think you have to be really delicate with that sort of you know how much that stuff gets used but yeah i think it's look it's certainly something in australia i think that you know like the designers and, and clients seem to to sort of um sort of we seem to be known for the more I talk to people about um and and look I yeah I think a lot of that is me you know I think a lot of that is is has sort of you know um has sort of come from how I started it but as I said I'm very I'm very aware that a lot of the designers that have worked in the company have I've I've hired people you know as I said it's like relationships right you you humor is such a is such a connector for us you know as 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 a race you know as 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 a as as humans that the that that idea of being able to laugh with someone or share share you know a, a similar idea of something that's funny i i think is so is so powerful and and i think that yeah that's that's happened with a lot of the designers we've hired and with a lot of clients we've hired you know but but then having said that i think you have things like you know we do work for theater companies like you know we do we do a lot of work for a theater company in australia called bell shakespeare and and you know there's very little humor to it you know i mean there's humor within obviously within the works of shakespeare you know there's a lot of comedy but in terms of the design work it's not it, it's very rarely funny you know it's it's much more mm-hmm. thoughtful and it's so i think i i, I would like to think that we're it's not something that we try and execute all the time with what we do, but um, but but I do know that we we do often we do lean on it quite a lot because it seems to it seems to be something that we feel comfortable doing, and and we've had yeah we've had sort of success with clients with it as well. So it's um yeah look I think it's it, it as I said it comes back to the language thing. I think it can be a really 
I just think it can be a really powerful way to to connect with people um, and break the ice. So it's um yeah, I mean it's I don't know I don't know maybe that website will change at some point. There's a lot of studios, a couple in the UK actually, especially who've taken that copy and kind of run with it exactly the same on their mm-hmm. websites. So I um which has always bothered me, but you just kind of have to roll with it, I guess, and just sort of accept that. But um, so maybe it's time we change it. But man, that writing that stuff on websites, like I don't know how you found it, but like it's so hard to do differently. You know, like writing a paragraph about the work and or an intro, you know, an intro thing is so hard. And I think part of the reason I've never changed it is I just can't be bothered to do it again because like, it's just too <laughs> difficult, you know. Like it's just you know every single design website sounds the same, you know. Like they all the copies the same, and I I've managed to land on a couple of things that are interesting, so I'm just sort of hanging on to them, you know, for as long as I can because I I can't think of anything better to be honest. That's the problem. One one thing I really noticed is um, yep. uh, I, I think when you've used that language, yeah, uh, even though you're an organization of obviously more than one person you know you've got a whole team it feels very personable and small and and relatable you know it 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 feels very friendly and approachable and I actually think it's uh, quite a nice way of approaching it so I encourage people to go and check that out and uh, um, I think that there's so much that people can learn from you Uh, on your website you've got a whole list of videos and talks and stuff from yourself and from your team all fantastic stuff so I'll make sure to link to that Um, but Chris it's been brilliant uh, we've, yeah, we've gone through a lot of topics in this so thank you so much for coming on uh, yep. it's been a lot of fun and uh, it's been good to get a chance to speak to you one-on-one yeah thank you very much man I, I really appreciate it yeah thank you so much Chris that was an absolutely fantastic interview uh, we really covered so much in that time and again I'm so sorry it's taken uh, almost an entire year to actually release this so I'm really glad it's all still Uh, very relevant content which should mean it will be evergreen so even in a couple of years time people should still be listening back to this. So to learn more about Christopher Doyle and his agency head to ChristopherDoyle.co. For links to his social profiles and a transcription of this interview go and check out the show notes for this episode uh, where I'll I'll also link to um, some really good videos of presentations and talks and stuff that he's done but anyway you can find the show notes by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 110 on next week's show i'm going to be joined by sarah townsend the author of survival skills for freelancers and based on the book title you can probably guess what we're going to be talking about but until then make sure to check out the sponsor of this episode at the perfect match and uh, start working on your mood board designs. So to go and check that out, just head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. And uh, as I said at the start of the interview, just by entering, you get a free coffee. But if what you do is really good, you get the the, uh, chance to be on Adobe's live streaming thing and maybe win $750. So it's worth um, putting something together and uh, trying because you're always going to get something out of it. So it's worth it. Anyway, that's it for today. I'll see you at the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.